0: Thanks for tuning into the Outcomes Rocket podcast where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural healthcare thinkathon. It's a conference that the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I have an outstanding guest for you today. We have the privilege of welcoming Rosemarie. Day, president of Day Health Strategies. Rosemary has over 25 years of health experience in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, including 16 years of leadership experience in state government. Most notably, Rosemarie served as the founding deputy director and Chief Operating Officer of the Massachusetts Health Connector, where she played a significant role in the launching the award-winning organization that established the nation's first state-run health insurance exchange. In 2010, Rosemarie founded Day Health Strategies to focus on implementing national health reform. Her company now serves organizations across the entire country that want to transform their approach to offering or delivering health care. She also holds a faculty appointment at Northeastern's D. Amore McKim School of Business. Previously, Rosemary was a chief of staff to the dean of Harvard Kennedy School. She also served as chief operating officer of Massachusetts Medicaid program and has held several senior leadership financial fiscal positions. She holds an MPP from Harvard Kennedy School and an AB from Stanford University, folks. She's got an excellent background to be diving into policy, (laughs) government, and it's our privilege to welcome Rosemary to the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Saul. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, Rosemary, anything that I left out there that maybe you want to fill in the guests on?
1: No, actually, I think you really covered it, so I appreciate that great intro. Very thorough.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, it's uh, you're definitely doing some impressive things. When you go back to the genesis of it all, Rosemary, what would you say was the catalyst that made you get into healthcare?
1: Well, I think I had always had an interest in kind of some of the inequities in our society. And the question was, where would I actually apply my energy? to? Because there's so many opportunities of, of where you could work on these issues you could work in housing policy, or you can work in healthcare, any number of areas. And what happened was I I entered state government and worked a lot on welfare reform initially, but the Medicaid opportunity actually kind of presented itself after I had had some different leadership roles. And I kind of leapt at it because I just saw that program size and importance and complexity is just being like the challenge I wanted to take on. So I said yes.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's really where I got my start. And then it went from there. But that's how I took the plunge.
0: That's fascinating. No, and, and so you took the plunge in a big way. You've obviously you've served in many different capacities. Today, Rosemary, out of everything that should be on the agenda of medical leaders, what would you say that one thing is that can no longer be ignored?
1: I really think it has to do with making sure that all Americans have access to affordable and quality healthcare. And I know that that can sound almost like a campaign ad, but I I don't want it to. I just really fundamentally believe that the best way to improve our outcomes is to give people access to that healthcare coverage. And we have made some pretty significant gains, frankly, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, but those gains are at risk of eroding and we're already starting to see some signs of that. So I worry about how that's going to affect the whole system because if you're running any sort of business you know, in the healthcare industry, you need customers and you need customers who can pay. And as we all know, healthcare is expensive and not everyone can afford to pay for stuff out of pocket. So the fact that we've got some real significant gaps today or something I think we need to continue trying to address.
0: That's a really interesting uh, point, Rosemary. So what would you say some of the key areas of erosion that are happening?
1: I see it in in two ways. One is just that some people who had insurance are losing that coverage or or choosing to say choosing with quote marks, choosing to drop that coverage because they find it to be too expensive if, if they don't have the benefit of employer Sponsored insurance and they're buying on their own through the open market and don't qualify for a subsidies, you know, they're going to find the costs to be increasing at rates that, that could be unsustainable for them. So that will force some folks to drop coverage. The other is that people who do have health insurance coverage are really worried about whether they're going to lose it, you know, if they lose their job and the insurance that goes with that job, you know, could they afford to buy on their own? Or even even if they have employer sponsored coverage that's facing a lot of cost pressures, a lot of times employers are moving more of that, the cost sharing onto their employees. And so they see, you know, higher deductible health plans and other ways that they've got to kind of lean in. And again, that could Start to be a bridge too far for folks who are living from paycheck to paycheck
0: yeah and there's a lot more of folks that are living from paycheck to paycheck than we'd like to think uh, and this is a very mm-hmm. real issue listeners if you think outside of your day-to-day this pool of folks that are uninsured and are looking to be insured is, is a growing number most recently, as I'm, I recall, there was a sort of a shortening of the sign up window and a, and a decrease in the marketing budget for the uh, government insurance programs. I think it went from 100 million to 10 million. It went from, mm-hmm. I think, five months to maybe 90 days or 60 days. So, you know, the mm-hmm. things that uh, Rosemary is referring to are very real. Rosemary, what would you say uh, right now, like with the practices that you're leading here with your firm, and is the key to making a positive change?
1: Yeah, you made some good points about uh, places that where the, you know, the Affordable Care Act has felt some pressure, that certainly, as you said, with the outreach period kind of shortening. It was actually down to six weeks. Um, though, I think wow. there had been a plan for that to happen over time anyway, even if, The Obama administration had still been in office that they did want to get it closer to where commercial open enrollment periods are. But I think more significantly has just been that The cost of insurance is going up so much because of a number of different things that have been decisions made by this administration to not support some of the subsidies that existed under the original Affordable Care Act and also to kind of loosen some of the market standards. Um, These are proposed rules that are imminently going to be coming out around short-term health insurance policies that will kind of take have the effect of taking some of the healthier people out of the marketplace and leaving those in the exchanges, probably the folks who need health insurance because of their health conditions a little more, which can then increase the cost of that insurance. So there's a bifurcated risk pool risk that we are going to be facing. And for a number of reasons, a lot of uncertainties insurers face, they find it hard to keep the prices down. And so that will hit folks harder. What I'm seeing though, and this is what's always so interesting in the world of of health policy, is that states, the pendulum always kind of swings. And when the federal government is doing things that states don't like, they can look for ways to step up and kind of do some countervailing measures. And that can happen with any kind of administration that's in office. States will look potentially to counter what's happening. And so I think we're seeing some of the states stepping up to look at ways to shore up what was built in the individual insurance markets. And that includes contemplating implementing a state-based mandate. And I'm working with a state right now that is taking a serious look at that. Um, The news came out last week that New Jersey just passed one, and that's to mitigate the effect of the mandate repeal, mandate penalty repeal that happened last December under the Tax Cut Act, which is also having the effect of driving up um, insurance rates.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So the effort of of states is is definitely, you're seeing it uh, increase as far as trying to get the mandate back?
1: The mandate is probably one of the most controversial aspects, but there are other things that get into that whole world of insurance regulation, where state insurance commissioners have an opportunity to take a look at their markets and kind of set their own regulatory rules around things like these short term health plans.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and as we think about the health of communities and populations, there's no doubt Rosemary's point is, is so true that you've got to give people access. You just have to. So what would you think, Rosemary, is an example of maybe work that you've done that's helping us get closer to that?
1: So I'll get to that. In just one second. I want to make the point like that you don't want the only point of access for people to be the emergency room because that's highly cost inefficient. and efficient. If and you, if your health condition is really a manageable chronic condition like diabetes, you don't want to manage that through the ER. You want to be able to manage that through preventive care. And that's really where I think you make the case for coverage so that people can avoid those really acute conditions and be able to to manage stuff at the front end. So that's my plug there. In terms of... um, That's a great point. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) the things we've worked on with organizations is to help them to understand in this changing environment and there's policy shifts, how do they strategize about what's going to happen with their patient populations, and what's the best way for them to proceed in this kind of very changing environment. So we've worked with a lot of organizations to look at those kind of major political and market force changes and strategize around that. And I also really like to work with organizations around how they actually develop what I like to call their own maturity to deal with these kinds of changes. And so we have a a model that we use that allows organizations to kind of see where their strengths and weaknesses are. And that way we can hone in on what are the areas that really need to be worked on to bring them up the curve of, you know, managing in this, as we say, ever-changing environment.
0: Well, you're definitely at the heart of, of reform there, Rosemary, and what has been one of your biggest takeaways in in the many years that you've been involved in in this type of healthcare reform that you want to share with the listeners?
1: I think it's amazing. It's interesting that you can accomplish so much actually with very few people. Um, you know, I had originally worked with very large government programs like Medicaid, but mm-hmm. when we were launching the state's Health Connector, that first one out of the gate, we had a very small team to begin with, and what we were able to accomplish with a small number of people, but who were extremely motivated to make something successful on a very tight timeframe, having everybody energized and rowing in the same direction, it's just kind of phenomenal what you can accomplish in that regard. And that that was, um, for me, kind of breathtaking to see when you didn't have the usual kind of larger organization bureaucracy, and we actually had bipartisan political support, you could just accomplish a great deal with, with relatively few resources. So that was a big lesson learned for me, like how that, you know, seeing, living, how that can actually happen. And it was very exciting.
0: Yeah, that's inspiring. And and so when you looked in the rearview mirror of that win, you're just like, wow, it doesn't take many, but it takes committed few.
1: And not having people working at cross purposes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, the alignment piece is key, right? <laughs> yes, very love that. Now, Rosemary, you've had a lot of wins on your record. Can you tell the listeners of a time when you had a setback and what you learned from that setback?
1: Yeah, it, you know, it actually is kind of the other side of the win. So, I would say the launch of our of the state's health connector here in Massachusetts and and what that begat was was very exciting for somebody who. Uh, started out as a policy student and thinks about these states as the laboratory of democracy and being able to see Mm -hmm. that it had the potential to go even beyond our state, which I didn't even imagine when I first took the job. But I think during the really rough and tumble startup stage that we had, and I was there for the first four years, we got to a more stabilized place. And what was interesting in the arc of that, of getting out of that crazy first year startup and more into like the way a real organization should run, not putting out fires every second, but trying to get to a more sustainable mode. I learned that there were people who were absolute, like that we brought onto the team who were just superstars in that very hectic kind of crazy stage of the year one startup. And then when you got to a place where the organization started to run more, I would call normally, the way I was used to much more established organizations running, some people were not as good of a player in that stage. Some people could make the transition and some people couldn't. And I... It took me a little bit to understand that because I hadn't been through that transition before. And usually, when you're giving people reviews and you're thinking, "Well, they're so great at like they got us through year one," but now we're like in year three, and you say, "Huh, okay, there, you know, people can can be great at multiple stages, but some people are really probably better for year one." Yeah, and that was a real lesson learned for me.
0: And that's a really interesting thought too, right? Because if we're as we're thinking uh, about these types of transitions, you know, we're health leaders wearing our hat. We got to deliver on a certain metric or a project. And Rosemary's point is is, is interesting, right? Because the person that could help you in startup mode really may not be the one that gets you through the next step. How do you plan for that, Rosemary? Like what suggestion would you offer our listeners that are maybe potentially going through that change right now?
1: Yeah, well, I should also mention the flip side was true. There were a lot of people I tried to recruit who I knew were really great producers who didn't want to take the risk of coming to a startup. And yet keep them in your um, contacts list because they may be the ones who are great for when you're more established, right? That they just sure. weren't comfortable at the super risky stage. And then kind of that converse is what I was, you know, the other point I made, which I think is just being aware that you need to kind of think about that risk takerness and almost like a personality inventory. And I'm, I'm not going to say recommend one product or another, but But at least in the back of your mind, keeping that awareness of like, it's not just the expertise around a particular knowledge set, because of course we needed that too, but it's that appetite to lead and manage through change that you're looking for, and then commensurately to to sustain change. And I think it's okay to say, well, you know what, I'm glad we hired who we hired in the beginning because we needed them for the launch. And there were a lot of people who just didn't want to take that kind of thing on. But understanding that you're going to need to morph, potentially morph your leadership team as your needs change.
0: Such a great call out. And I'm personally a big fan of doing personality and aptitude assessments when forming teams, whether it be the Myers-Briggs or Finders, whatever it may be, it definitely helps. And they always say, always be closing, but I always tell my my team, mm-hmm. always be interviewing. And mm-hmm. to Rosemary's point, right? If it doesn't work, like you got that year three person and you're at the beginning, keep them in your Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, and I
1: think, you know, one... Yeah, I, I was going to say Rolodex and I thought, oh, I'm going to date myself here. But um, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, I,
0: I'm old school. I
1: guess. <laughs> I think that as you get to know people over time too, you, you get more, you're able to kind of gauge whether somebody is just a really strong individual contributor or mm-hmm. they're a really strong team player. And I think when you're doing crazy days of startup, it was okay to have really strong individual contributors. There wasn't even time sometimes to do stuff really as a team, but over time you need to. So that's a quick gauge.
0: No, I think that's so great. So great, Rosemary. Great notes for our listeners that are leading organizations and building teams and uh, businesses. So Mm -hmm. that's a great call out. How about one of your proudest healthcare leadership moments that you've experienced to date?
1: I think it's really been the fact that we were able to successfully launch, you know, the Health Connector in a bipartisan fashion in one state and that the framework became a model that could be used across the nation. I wish it had been launched in a more flexible way so that states could really tailor it more because I do think there's such tremendous variation across states and we need to respect that and have some national standards, but not necessarily superimpose all of that. So I do wish there'd been a little more of that flexibility, but because, you know, Massachusetts, while we set had a framework, we can't like speak for the nation on everything. I get that. So I'm proud of it, but I, I would, you know, kind of amend that asterisk, say, hey, wish we could have made that a little
0: more flexible. (laughs) Yeah. In retrospect, but you guys did a great job, obviously served as a, as a template for the rest of the nation to follow. So you've left a really, really great fingerprint on the way that things are done. Health coverage is, is obtained at the state level. So kudos to you. Thank you. So Rosemary, what's an exciting project or focus that you're working on today?
1: So You know, there's a couple of things. One is that we have, as a firm, been looking at how to really help folks once they do have coverage. And I'm really excited about the Accountable Care Organization world and really trying to get care to be very patient-centered and team-oriented and all those good things of collaboration to help patients manage their care across um, specialists, you know, and their primary care provider. We're excited to be doing that in Massachusetts, actually through the state Medicaid program, and that's just gone live this year. So that's been a I big see. project we're working on. And I think it's a nice extension of get, you know, once people have coverage, then really trying to help them use that coverage effectively to improve health. My also, I'm going to just have two things, my um, other project on a personal level is that I really want to try to encapsulate what we learned from launching the prototype for the ACA and what we've learned in, in kind of this whole debate about in our country about healthcare coverage and really try to get this book together that would give people an action guide of how we can continue to make progress.
0: Oh, very cool. So a book on the horizon. I do. Love it. And do you have a launch date or a publish date?
1: (laughs) Well, it needs to happen in 2019 at some point. That's my goal. I can't pinpoint the date, but it's an aggressive deadline and I'm just trying to find more hours in the day.
0: Well, Rosemary, I would pick that book up. So when you do launch it, and I know the listeners would too, so let's make sure we get you back on because we want to hear about it, right? Fabulous. Thank you. Absolutely. Definitely some, some great learnings here, uh, folks. If you haven't had a chance, again, we're talking to Rosemary Day. She's the president at Day Health Strategies, very experienced leader in healthcare and also government health projects. You'll want to hit the rewind button if you missed the beginning of this, because we definitely have been talking about some really value-added things that you could be considering for building organizations and even the impact of the things that are going on with the ACA. Getting close to the end here, Rosemary, Mm -hmm. uh, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful, and let's just call it health policy today the 101 mm-hmm. of Rosemary Day. So four questions, lightning round style, followed by your favorite book that you recommend to the listeners. Great. Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Coverage. Love the brevity. <laughs> True <laughs> like <lighting>. it. <laughs> yeah. Simple. I love it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: Making it too patchwork and confusing, complicated, and throwing in like skimpy coverage. People need adequate healthcare coverage, not stuff that's masquerading as that.
0: Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
1: You know, I'm going to say people need to embrace change. And I know some people are more change averse, but you've got to have a critical mass of folks on your team who are excited about change and want to learn so that you can truly create that learning organization environment, that's how you can be really successful.
0: What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization?
1: I think the mission orientation to really truly improve healthcare, whether that's from that patient-centered perspective or making it more affordable, accessible, more efficient, better solutions um, through technology, any of those kind of things. Stay focused on that mission because you'll attract great talent, folks who really do want to make a difference.
0: What book would you recommend to the listeners, Rosemary?
1: So I know you originally said something to me about your all-time favorite book, which is a super hard question to answer. So I'm (laughs) I'm just going to focus it on a really great nonfiction book that has been on the bestseller list for a while now for good Uh reason. And that's called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And I don't know if you've had a lot of other interviewees mention this book, but I highly recommend it. Atul Gawande has written a book that I think has gotten us out of the kind of Unhelpful rhetoric around death panels and really into a place where we can have a conversation about what should be happening at the end of life from a personal and a, you know, a policy or systems perspective. And he was courageous enough to put it in the frame of the stories that he could tell from not just his own practice, but his, his actual personal life vis a vis his father. And I think when people are willing to personalize things like that, who are, you know, as also smart and informed about the broader issues, and packaging that into one one book. It's very accessible for people and it opens up the door for a lot more conversations, both at your own family level and at a at a more systemic level.
0: What a great summary, Rosemary. And and yeah, you know the book's been recommended by a few other guests, but nevertheless, the recommendation here from you cements it as a must read. So listeners, if you haven't gotten to on being mortal by Atul Gawande, you have to. This is on the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so folks, uh, if you want more information, the transcript, links to the book that Rosemary suggested, links to her work and her site, go to outcomesrocket.health slash day, as in Rosemary Day, D-A-Y, and you'll be able to find all the show notes and transcript there. Rosemary, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners can get in touch with you or follow you.
1: All right. Well, to find me, um, you can find me through LinkedIn. My name, Rosemarie Day, and I'm also um, fairly active on Twitter, both through my company and personally, so at DayHealthStrat or at Rosemarie underscore day one. So just a closing thought, I'm very struck by, I think, the power we have if we want to improve our healthcare outcomes. And as I said, I think coverage is a big key step to doing that. I think we can achieve that with the power of kind of collective action. And if enough people understand how it, it pertains to all of us and that will individually and collectively as a society benefit from putting more in that direction, I think that's really what I'd like to leave people with as a thought.
0: Some great shares there, Rosemary, and inspiration you left us with to not settle and find those people like minded that are willing to do what it takes to make these programs succeed so really again just want to say a big thank you to you thanks for carving out the time for us and we'll be in touch for when your book launches
1: (laughs) (laughs) and thanks so much i really enjoyed it
0: thanks for tuning in to the outcomes rocket podcast if you want the show notes inspiration transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health conference. That's outcomesrocket.health conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.